0: welcome to sabbath school brought to you by it is written delighted to have you back again this week this week we are looking at lesson number six this is the roots of abraham we're getting into some really exciting stuff and we're thrilled once again to have a guest with us who is no stranger to us here at sabbath school dr saman good to have you back with us again thank you and we've shared a little bit before but for those who may be joining us for the first time you're a professor emeritus at southern adventist university you've served as a professor at the theological seminary at andrews university your former editor of the sabbath school lesson and you've authored a book or six or eight or ten as well so uh, delighted to have you with us and to share your insight in this particular lesson the roots of abraham let's begin with just diving into who was abraham if we're going to dig into the life of abraham which is which takes up a significant portion of the the center part of the book of of genesis who was abraham
1: well abraham was born in 1950 not ad but bc and he he died uh, in 1775 bc therefore he died at the age of 175 years old now Can you imagine? We think of Abraham as somebody who's with us today. We think of him as a living character, yet imagine how old he is by now. 3,972 years. That's a long time ago. Almost 4,000 years. And
0: we talk about him as if he's living today. He had a, a huge impact on society and continues to have.
1: He continues to have. Father Abraham. People call him Father Abraham. The Muslims do that, the Christians, and also he is in the line of the faithful followers of God, such as Noah, such as uh, Shem, such as Enoch, Methuselah, who believed in God totally, and God had somebody to represent him faithfully throughout the ages. Now Abraham had his relatives, but they worshipped God, but they worshipped also idols. But Abraham stood like a rock in in a desert of shifting sands of ideas and philosophies
0: and opinions. So, so how did he, coming from that background, that idolatrous background, how did he manage to come through that? I don't know that we can say he came through it unscathed, but at least he came through it faithful. He's remembered that way. How did that come to pass?
1: It was like God's plan. God had somebody who was totally faithful to him without interruption. Now, others around him partially worship God, but partially worship idols, like his father, Terah, and the other relatives he had. They practice what we call syncretism. Syncretism, blending two religions together. You know, uh, heathenism plus the worship of the true God. You know, it's the same thing even with Jacob and his wife, Rachel, Rachel, his favorite wife, she kept idols with her. Why? Uh, she got them there from his father 's house, and she probably got them when uh, when Shechem and his people were attacked and they and they got all their property so it's very interesting that even god 's faithful people had some connection with idols, yet
0: Abraham did not. he mm-hmm. was purely worshiping god so that gives us a little encouragement today, or at least I think it should give us encouragement today because we live in a very idolatrous society now we may not necessarily carry around little idols but we idolize people we idolize things whether it's sports or or jobs or something like that we live in a society that's not entirely unlike what abraham abraham or abram came from what what was it like there tell us a little bit more about the the background of of ur what was it
1: well, i was going to do something uh, before this and that is Today, do we practice, as Christians, do we practice syncretism? Mm -hmm. In other words, we don't have idols, figures, but we might have other things we cherish as we cherish God or even more, such as materialism, such as pleasure, such as entertainment, sports, I don't know. But we can have the same problem as they did. Uh, Now, the background is that Abraham, or Abram, his name was changed later, uh, grew up in, in Ur of Chaldeans, which was a modern city. I mean, they had indoor plumbing. They had a sewer system. Um, they, uh, they had two-story apart, uh, houses with, with in, uh, in, in, inner courtyard, modern house. Today, on the same spot where Abraham came from, you have houses, but much more primitive. And so it was hard for him to leave all this luxury and the riches, and all the connections he had to be thrust in the desert, not knowing, not having any idea where he's going to go.
0: That takes a a significant amount of faith to be in a comfortable position, relatively speaking, and go somewhere where you don't even have a clue where it is that you're going, what it's going to be like, where it is, and and so forth. What what do you think that, what does that faith look like? How How did, where did it come from? He was called the father of faith, meaning a personal experience.
1: And he was the father of the faithful. I mean, can you imagine the refugees from Ukraine? At least they know. They're going to Poland, going to Romania, to a neighboring country. They had relatives, maybe, friends in those countries nearby. But Abraham had nothing. And, And even though sometimes he wasn't completely faithful, Yet there are times when he showed ultimate faith in leaving his country and going to nowhere, plus the test when he was asked to
0: sacrifice Isaac. Ultimate in faith. So it's interesting, the contrast. So a contrast of being very faithful and, and, and less than completely faithful, it seems, at, at times. Now, you mentioned his, his name changing. What's this, what significance is there in, in the change of his name from Abram to Abraham?
1: Well, Abram means uh, the um, exalted father, the great father. You notice the emphasis on him. Great father, exalted father, me, I'm a great person. It changed to Abraham, the father of many nations. And so then God wanted all the nations of the world to be blessed by him. And so, therefore, he did not bring up the nation of Israel to be ingrown, to be self-centered, but to share with the world the good news about God. But the opposite happened. There are, there are different experiences of faith where the, where the good news was spread, but limited. Mostly, the Jewish people or the Israelites focus on themselves. So we should learn a lesson. We are children of Abraham, meaning we, we are interested in all the world, to take the gospel to all the world. God always intended the good news to be global.
0: And that's a, it's a huge task for us. At least we, we view it as a huge task. It's something that God certainly has... Uh, God would not give us a task that we could not accomplish. I guess I'll put it that way. And he didn't give abram something that was impossible for abram to accomplish through through faith
1: therefore you know under any circumstance you know when we are faithful to god and when we lack the faith god in spite of our shortcomings he's willing to bring something good out of our mistakes it's amazing where do you find a person he would take all your mistakes and put them as I say, I believe in you, and ultimately you're going to succeed, and I'll bring something good out of
0: your mistakes. You know, a lot of Christians, and I'll I'll speak on behalf of a lot of Christians here, a lot of Christians wonder, how can God use me because I've done this, I've been here, I've done that, I'm not like this, I'm not perfect, I'm flawed. God can use people like that, can't he?
1: Yeah, we're talking about We talk about Abraham, and we talk about Jacob, excuse me, they are very dysfunctional in many ways. I mean, Abraham, the faithful one, and Sarah, beautiful and faithful, look what happened. Uh, She told him to have a son by Hagar, but somehow, someway, by the way, that decision impacted the whole world forever. You have a fifth of the world population Muslims, the sons and daughters of Ishmael. So our mistakes can result in in, in unbelievable uh, uh, unbelie- consequences, yet God somehow uses all of this to bring something good out of it. It's incredible what God can do.
0: It, it is, and with him knowing the end from the beginning and knowing all the intricacies of the, of the, the paths that one decision can take, and yet He still brings good together from all of that.
1: That's why we have hope. No matter, as long as we want God in our lives, no matter how many mistakes we make, we shouldn't make mistakes, what we do, he makes the most out of it. I mean, remember that Joseph came from the dysfunctional family. And what happened to him? He was taken to Egypt. His brothers wanted to kill him. Can you imagine your own brothers wanting to kill you and then sell you as a slave? I mean, maybe God wanted to get, out, to get him out of the dysfunctional family to do something great through him. And then at the end, he told his brothers,
0: whatever you meant for evil, God meant for good. I mean, that's a good example about what you're talking about. Well, it's, a, it's a phenomenal example. God is able to work with you wherever you happen to be. With whatever situation you happen to find yourself in, maybe you are in, as it were, Ur of the Chaldees. And you look around yourself and you see, what a mess, what a dysfunctional family I'm in, what, uh, what trying circumstances I'm in right now, and you wonder how God can, can deal with that or can use you. The good news is, He can, and He will. He wants to. If you will give Him that opportunity, what other words of encouragement might you give someone who finds themselves in, in a challenging situation, Kind of like Abram was, maybe some similarities, maybe some dissimilarities, but in an Abram-like situation. Well, you know, um,
1: God can bring opposites, contrasts, in such a way that a blessing comes out of it. I mean, again, we'll talk about Joseph, remember. We'll talk about Joseph later. But remember, Joseph said to his brothers when they came to Egypt, He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, to provide life for my people, to provide life, to sustain life. Now they're going to kill him, remember? Deprive him of life, but God used him to provide life. So he took something negative, death, to bring life out of it.
0: That's how God works, if we allow him. And that's powerful. As we are diving into the book of Genesis, you want to make sure that you get the most out of it possible studying through the lesson, watching the Sabbath School program here on It Is Written, and you want to make sure that you pick up the companion book to this quarter's lesson, and that is on the book of Genesis by the author, same author, Jacques Dukan. It will be a blessing to you as it draws even more out of the book of Genesis than what you are already getting. We're going to be back in just a minute or two as we continue looking at the story of Abraham and finding how it applies to our lives. A faithful man whose decisions have impacted the world for thousands of years. We're going to be back in just a few minutes.
2: Hello, I'm Dr. David DeRose, a specialist in internal medicine and preventive medicine. And I've been surprised over the years in working with patients and studying the medical research literature just how powerful hemorrheology is when it comes to health. You may be wondering, what is hemorrheology? Well, I call it the Methuselah Factor, and that's the title of my book. The Methuselah Factor really helps you connect with things that can help your blood be more fluid. You say, why is that important? It's important because it can help you decrease your risk of a stroke or a heart attack, even lower your risk of cancer. But it's a whole lot more than just preventing killer diseases. If you improve your blood fluidity, your mind will work better, you'll perform physically better, and you'll decrease your risk of dementia. So, don't hesitate. Dive into the Methuselah factor. Make a difference in your life and the life of those that you love. Hi, I'm John Bradshaw from It Is Written. The It Is Written Bible studies have been used around the world by people who want to understand the Bible better. They're short, they're easy to use, and they're life-changing. And in them, you'll find the hope and the peace that you've been searching for. Sign up for your Bible guides today at no cost. You'll be glad you did.
0: Welcome back to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We are looking at lesson number six, The Roots of Abraham dr saman a few minutes ago we were talking about what ur of the chaldees was like and abraham had to leave that known place that comfortable place that uh, well-developed place and to to go into an area that was unfamiliar to him do we run the risk of becoming too attached to a place he he ran that risk and yet god was able to pull him out what can we learn from that
1: well I mean, today, I think many Christians are too attached to this world, especially to America, where we have luxury, riches, very comfortable environment. And so I was talking to somebody the other day, and he said, Oh, wow, COVID might leave us for good, and now I can really enjoy my life in this world. (laughs) And I said, Why would you say that? Who would want to stay in this old world if Christ is coming soon. The, the, the new world God's going to provide for us is so much exceedingly better than this world. And so to me, that indicates that we can be too attached to this world and detached from heaven. And the Apostle Paul told us to be thinking about heaven where our real home is.
0: Yeah, that's, that's encouraging because, uh, as you mentioned over in Revelation chapter 18, there's a, a passage there that kind of tells us what we ought to be focusing toward and and not focusing toward. Talk about Revelation 18 a little bit.
1: Well, God is telling his people, us, get out of Babylon, spiritual Babylon. But then Abraham was told the same thing, get out of Babylon. (laughs) And when he left Babylon, he really left Babylon physically in every way. And here we are told to leave spiritual Babylon but, you know, our heart is divided. We're still in Babylon, and we want to be out of Babylon. So to me, um, is maybe we left physically Babylon, but in our heart, do we have any, uh, any residue of Babylon? I'd I, I like to ask you a question, Eric, and that is, what does spiritual Babylon represent? As far as we're concerned,
0: any things we have to let, leave behind? There are a lot of things that, that engage our time and our, our activities and our senses in the world that are not purely connected with God's will. And and if we stay connected with those things, we we're well we're disconnecting ourselves to some extent from God. So we can have Babylon in our heart. Very easily. In a spiritual way. Very easily. Yeah. Excellent point. Let's talk about uh, Abraham and some of his, his character traits. He had some Strong character traits, and then he had some other character traits that were less advantageous to his walk. We'll put it that way.
1: I, I put down some good characteristics. He was a spiritual leader. He was a prophet because he saw a city whose maker and builder is God. Jesus said he saw his day, so he he was prophetic, and and that's all wonderful. And then also, uh, he he was an intercessor. He interceded with God in behalf of Lot and Sodom. He was a reconciler. He tried to reconcile Lot's herdsmen with his herdsmen. What other good qualities? He was a man of valor and honor. With, with like a bit more than 400 men, he fought off four kings. He was a man of valor, yet, he didn't have the courage to speak the truth to Abimelech in Egypt. Can you imagine facing four kings and their armies, but not one king who did him no harm by telling him, by telling him, Sarah is my sister. What do you think about that? Was she really his sister? Yeah, he, he put her in a, a uh, an awkward position. Vulnerable position. Because, I mean, she was, let me tell you this, it was half-truth. It was half-truth. It was like half a lie and half truth, because she was his sister, uh, kind of stepsister, half-sister. How? Because they had the same father, Tetra, but they had different mother. So, instead of just being courageous before this king and saying, you know, she is my wife, he could have said, she is also my half-sister. And in that culture, they married relatives, so it was normal and 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 what else but, but what are the shortcomings uh, look at this we said we just said he lacked courage and honesty he was self-centered in trying to protect his skin what about his wife's skin uh, he put her in a very vulnerable position as you said and he was influenced by his wife i mean i don't think any husband is not influenced by his wife but he was i think unduly influenced by her and uh, and yet, both Sarah by the way, Sarah was ten years younger than him, okay and and they both came from the same culture, and the urfkhaldeans and and the king of Urf Chaldeans and the lawgiver was Hammurabi, and they took his culture with them. They didn't totally leave Babylon in their heart, and so when they could not wait for God's promise to be fulfilled, what happened? We blame Sarah for laughing at God's promise. But you know, it says in Genesis, Abraham laughed. Laughed as well, yep. <laughs> yeah. Laugh. We always blame the woman more than the man. And the other thing is, the the code of Hammurabi said, if you don't have a son to inherit your legacy, to inherit your name, to inherit your, your, your blessings, then you can have two ways to go about it. Through your best male servant, or through a son, through your maid. Well, Abraham tried to talk God into adopting Eliezer as his son, his best male servant, and Eliezer originally came from Damascus, Syria. And then when didn't, God didn't accept that, then Sarah resorted to the second provision of the Hammurabi Code by giving her maid servant to Abraham, as the custom was, and she talked about it and talked about it and finally she actually took hagar and offered hagar to to abraham so here
0: they resorted to their own culture and ignoring god's promises and we we are to some extent a a a summation of our experiences as well from where we've come from your your background where you were born and where you grew up and the experiences you've had are very different than mine and we have we have become different individuals but with similar characteristics in the end, I think God's trying to do the same thing with His people,
1: which shows that after decades of God not coming through for them, because of His own perfect timing, because Isaac had to be a miracle son. She couldn't. He didn't want her to have him when she was young, so old. When God said to Abraham, "But your wife will be the one to bring you a son," I, I think Abraham probably thought, God have you had a recent look at my wife? That's impossible. But God wanted the impossible. Why? Because the experience of Abraham to be an illustration of salvation through God's
0: only son, Jesus. It's an incredible act of faith when, when Abraham and, and Sarah ultimately accepted God's original intent. Uh, just an incredible act of faith that they stepped forward in and were able to to realize the blessing that God had in store for them. And sometimes we go through similar things. We we are challenged. We face difficult situations, and we wonder how God is going to bless or how He could bring His will through something like that. Just remember the story of Abraham and Sarah. In in the midst of what seemed like an impossibility, God brought forth an incredible blessing. We've got just a few minutes here left, but I wanted to kind of delve into the story of Melchizedek because it's a fascinating one. What can you share with us about? Uh, insights from the story of Melchizedek. Out of nowhere, it seems, he
1: surfaces to bless Abraham and to receive tithe from him. We don't know a lot about him at all. I can tell you the meaning of his name. Melki means my king. Zedek means righteous one, my righteous king. And theologians comment on this and say, perhaps he was a type of Jesus, our high priest. And uh, but we don't know exactly his identity. He is, we are told, he, is, he, he served as the king of Salem and a priest of God. So he has this royal and priestly status, the same as Jesus. So I, I can accept the, that he was a type of Jesus because Jesus is our king and he's our high priest what about the tithing
0: you know when we talk about tithing it's i find it interesting when i talk with different people about tithing uh sometimes they'll they'll express well i i i tithe eight percent or i tithe nine percent or something like which is difficult to do because tithe simply means tenth but that tenth that god desires to have back from us we're not really giving god anything are we
1: Uh, the, the lesson actually made this profound statement i wrote it down it says tithe is not a gift to God. Tithe is a gift from God. Because we often think we're giving God something. Oh, give God 10% in return for all his blessings. But actually, it's not that. It's a gift from God. Because everything we have, 100% is a gift from God. I like the verb to return from his gift to us 10%. Can you imagine, Eric? He provides everything for us to generate wealth, to make profits. Yet, he provides everything for us to be able to do that. And he only says, can you return 10%? That's very generous. If you have a business, wouldn't you like (laughs) to have a successful business and your partner who does almost everything? He says, just 10% and you
0: keep 90%. 90%. That would be a good business. I would love that kind of a business partner. They're tough to find these days. And that's why God is a very good noble, generous business partner. Yeah. It's tough to outgive God. <laughs> Impossible we can to never, out-give, we can God. Never
1: outgive God. The reason you are the reason you and I are breathing now. By his breath we live when he exists. Uh, we're very fragile human beings. Without his blessing, without him giving us strength, mental, physical, we won't be able to make it. And so I want to also mention that mathematically it doesn't seem logical that uh, 90% of our possessions, our money, with God's blessing, is more, much more, than 100% without His blessing. In fact, I'll go further and say, with 0% with God's blessing, is way more than 100% without His blessing. What do you think about that? I I agree, absolutely. Is it real? Is it
0: practical? It's it's. It may not add up on paper every time, but in reality, it works. Because if God is blessing us, everything we have is going to go further. We can expect we're going to be healthier. Maybe we'll have a closer spiritual walk. Financially, we'll be blessed. Maybe because of our increased health, we'll have lower medical bills. So many ways that God blesses us. Dr. Saman, thank you again for being with us this week as we've looked at the roots of Abraham. And thank you for joining us also. We are continuing through our journey in the book of Genesis, looking at these incredible stories that help us to understand our lives today. You know, if we didn't have the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, we would have a hard time understanding the world in which we live. But because of the book of Genesis, because of the stories of imperfect people like Abraham, you and I can also have hope. God bless you. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written.